Your Locked On Coyotes, your daily podcast on the Arizona Coyotes, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everyone, to this special crossover episode between Locked On Coyotes and Locked On Blackhawks. Again, so I'm Robin, Robin Leonio, host of Locked On Coyotes, Jack Bushman of Locked On Blackhawks, joining us on today's episode. Uh, Jack, how are you doing? Robin, I'm doing great. Excited to uh, get the Central Division back. I know you guys are the newcomers this year, but uh, excited to get things back in order a little bit and uh, ha- have the divisions back to as they should be. And it should be a fun year for both our teams. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to you know talking to everyone here. So obviously, everyone's already heard um, on this Coyote side us talk to uh, Seth Topol and Chris Maselli of uh, uh, Wild and Avalanche, the Locked On shows there, and they've already heard them on the on the Coyote show before because they were part of our West Division. This is the first time that I'm talking with you because this we're finally going to have you know we're back in the regular divisions, but again, Coyotes now first time in Central Division, so. Welcome party for us. Absolutely. And uh, it's going to be a dogfight of a central division. I'm not going to lie to you. It's it's pretty tough top to bottom. So it, it should be uh, a, a little bit of a harsh welcome, welcome, I'm thinking, for the Kaidos this year. But we'll get into that a little bit later. Absolutely. So how we're going to do this episode, uh, we'll keep the same format as we've done the previous two crossovers. We'll start off with uh, questions for the Blackhawks. And then second segment, we can go ahead and uh, flip the coin. Jack will... Uh, be able to ask us questions about the Coyotes, and then we will make some predictions about the uh, the overall year for both teams, just in general, everything of uh, the sorts there. So let's go ahead and start off with the questions. So, Jack, Blackhawks this year making a lot of moves. Uh, let's let's start with obviously the big one, getting the trade. <laughs> For Marc Andre Fleury, first, how'd you guys do it, and how'd you guys like? It seemed he didn't he like was going to think about retiring in the first. How'd you convince him to get the play? Yeah, it was a pretty hectic couple of days there for sure. Um, I remember it, it was free agency week. I think it was free agency was supposed to open on Wednesday. So leading up to that week, I was trying to get in a, a round of golf actually, and I, I was out on the tenth hole. I want to say thinking it was just going to be, you know, a calm day. The next day is supposed to be the hectic day. All of a sudden, I get a pop-up on my phone. Blackhawks have acquired Marc-Andre Fleury. And I'm like, what just happened? And, and the couple weeks leading up to that, the Blackhawks were supposedly in the conversation for Marc-Andre Fleury. They, that was one of the potential destinations if Vegas was going to move his contract. Chicago was one of the teams interested. But just looking at the shape of the team and also – um, a couple days earlier, we had just acquired Seth Jones. That's a big cap hit going forward. So financially and just kind of with the shape of the roster, although the Blackhawks were interested, I just didn't really see how it was going to fit. But then sure enough, boom, that Tuesday before free agency, Marc-Andre Fleury comes to Chicago. Uh, and it was a hell of a deal as well. I mean, no secret that Vegas was just trying to, to kind of get rid of that money. We only gave up Michael Hackerinen in exchange for Flurry in that deal and Hackerine and actually uh, Vegas kind of said, you guys can keep him. Um, he can play in your system until uh, 
he's NHL ready, which I, I don't know how the terms of that deal works, but basically the Blackhawks gave up literally nothing to get Marc-Andre Fleury. But the kicker here was there wasn't a hundred percent certainty that Fleury was even going to play for another team this season. He had talked with Vegas, talked with his agent and said, you know, if I'm not playing here, I've got my family settled in suburban Las Vegas. I don't really want to move them again. So I don't know if it's going to be worth it to play for another team, but after a couple of conversations, he ultimately did decide that he's going to suit up for the Blackhawks this season. Uh, it's only a one-year contract, so I, I do have a feeling it's probably just going to be a one-year stint. But man, oh man, does that make a huge difference for this team going forward? Because, well, well, first, the Blackhawks, they've struggled defensively for the last handful of years. That's really been their heel as a team. And they made they made some big additions in that department as well. But having a sure a guy who just won the Vezina Trophy and performed tremendously during the Stanley Cup playoffs, to have him come in and now be our number one netminder instead of Kevin Lankinen, who was only going to be a sophomore at the NHL level, not really sure if he was ready to handle that full-time starter role. To have that addition now of a Vezina Trophy candidate, a caliber goalie, excuse me, in that, that makes such a huge difference for the Blackhawks. And with that addition, it, it makes them legit playoff contenders, I do believe, Robin, because e- even if some of the, the new additions come in and struggle right away, we got a sturdy brick wall back there to help us out. So the addition of Marc-Andre Fleury, A-plus in all, in all aspects, in my opinion. The trade was fantastic. We gave up literally nothing. And now we got arguably the best netminder in the league for one more season and um, maybe more if he does want to continue in Chicago. But without a doubt, Robin, I mean, that was – um, getting Seth Jones was big, but getting Marc-Andre Fleury for this year really, I think, solidified the Blackhawks' wanting to be serious contenders for the playoffs. Yeah, I remember when uh, when the Blackhawks acquired Seth Jones, you know, some people were saying, so are the Blackhawks making a, you know, a push for the playoffs? At that point, I know I was even questioning them. I was like, hold on, let's, let's pump the brakes here. I want to see a little bit more. And then you know, the Fleury deal came in like, oh, yeah, they're they're trying to do something here, and they're it's, they're making the central division really interesting. That's for damn sure. Um, but yeah, let's I mean let's go to that Seth Jones acqu- acquisition because obviously um, now going into his final year of so I'm looking as cat friendly, five point four million going on to a pretty hefty contract. Oh yeah. What do you, what's your expectations from Seth Jones? The expectations for that price tag, it has to, he has to come in and be the anchor back there that the Blackhawks have needed for the last handful of years. It's not a knock on Duncan Keith, but at his age and all the mileage he had with him being our number one defender the past couple seasons, it really just didn't give the Blackhawks that much of a chance to survive back there. I mean, again, not a knock on dunks, but at this stage of his career, he just was not a number one. And now that he's gone in Edmonton, Seth can come in and the hope and the expectations is that he has to solidify this defense. I talked about it a moment ago. That's been the heel for the Blackhawks the past couple seasons. They've been getting swarmed in their own zone way too often, night in and night out. The expectations that Seth Jones has to solidify things. He has to be a strong two-way force that can drive play offensively and also hold it down in, in the defensive zone as well. We really need him to be good defensively. But I think a huge uh, other addition along with Seth Jones was getting Jake McCabe too from Buffalo because now Jake McCabe known as a really good, solid defensive defenseman. I think that kind of takes the pressure a little bit off Seth of having to be uh, the rock defensively for the Blackhawks. He can go out there and do the things that he can do offensively without really having to worry about being the reliable guy, the, the sturdy 
defenseman that has to, you know, always be back uh, in transition for the Blackhawks. I think getting Jake McCabe allows Seth to kind of do the things that he does best, go up there, skate the puck through the neutral zone and make things happen in the offensive zone. So uh, the expectation for sure for Seth Jones is he has to come in and sturdy the play for the Blackhawks. Um, but with some other additions, I think they, they have made his life a little bit easier going forward to do that. I guess the last thing for me in terms of questions for the uh, the Blackhawks is, you know, in the past, obviously this was before, you know, the Coyotes and the Blackhawks were in the same division, but these two teams have always had really good trade relations. I think, mm-hmm. I think there's always like a trade between these two teams every freaking year. Um, to my knowledge, I think uh, I'm trying to think players that have played for the Coyotes organization before looking on your roster. I think Adam Gaudet played maybe like a few games, if anything. Um, but, uh, Dylan Strom obviously is the big one. Uh, he was supposed to be like the future of the franchise when he first got drafted. I think it was what third overall in 2015. Over Mitch Marner. Yeah. Over Mitch Marner, which was ridiculous. But still, how has he, how has he done for you guys? Yeah, I definitely want to talk about, uh, the trades that these two teams have made throughout the years, but, uh, starting with Dylan Strom. That first year that he came over in that trade for Nick Schmaltz, that first, I think it was 61 games he played, I believe. Maybe I'm wrong on that. Um, But he was nearly a point-per-game guy that first season he came over. He was getting top-line looks with Patrick Kane and Alex DeBrinkett, his good buddy, obviously, from his day back in juniors with the Erie Otters. And and it really looked like um, he, he was going to be that number two center of the future for the Blackhawks. And that's really why they made that trade was because they had some doubts about Nick Schmaltz and they probably just felt a little more confident about Dylan Strom and his upside at the time. But since that first half season, when he came over, it's been a struggle for him, man. They bounced him around between center and wing. He hasn't looked good at all on the wing, but due to the center depth of the Blackhawks, all of a sudden now have, it looks like he probably has to play there in order to be part of this team going forward. It's been troublesome for him. I can't lie. Uh, he, he just really hasn't been able to find a role and stick in it. He's been, as I said, bouncing between positions, never has solidified a spot in the lineup. He's always bouncing between the first, second, third lines, never has consistent line mates. And I, I think that's kind of hurt his development a little bit. Me personally, I think the Blackhawks kind of just need to stick him in a spot, stop jumbling him between positions, let the kid go play where he needs to play, stick at one spot, and just show some confidence in him. I think the Blackhawks have done a little bit of a due diligence with Dylan Strome because they haven't given him the same opportunities night in and night out. And that's, that's hindered his development. I think a little bit. Uh, I mean, again, he's still only 24 years old, you know, so there's still some time there, but his clock is ticking in Chicago. If he doesn't show something this year, he may be on his way out, honestly. And I even thought that there was potential for him to be traded over the off season. But when I spoke with a, a source, that was pretty close with the Blackhawks organization. He's a beat writer for the Blackhawks. He said that the locker room would be absolutely destroyed if Dylan Strome were to be traded. He's a key locker room piece. So doesn't seem like the Blackhawks are itching to move Dylan Strome, but due to his struggles the past couple of seasons, I think if it doesn't go well this year, you know, that that could be it for his time in Chicago, unfortunately. Yeah, I've 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 always felt bad for his development when he was with when he was with Arizona. Um, I mean, I think they they used they used him poorly. Like, and I was glad to see you know how he how he with that with that start that he had like, that you were mentioning because obviously that's what, I was hoping that's what he that's what that's what he would get essentially those top line minutes because he was only right. in Arizona the max he like it would be like oh here's a uh, fourth line like you know 
10 minutes a game and then all right back down to Tucson you go I'm like really yeah and there's certain guys where as I've learned throughout the years of watching hockey there's just certain guys that have to play with skill players to get the job done and with, with Dylan Strom I think the thing that makes that more prevalent is because he, he doesn't really have the speed he, he's not a top tier skater at the NHL level so that's really hindered his playmaking ability so he, he's kind of the guy that needs to play a second or uh, a third line role with scores around him in order to have success offensively. I don't think he's a guy that he himself is going to make things happen, but if he's around playmakers, he has the offensive skill set to do so. So whenever you give guys like that, a fourth line role with grinders, you know, guys that <laughs> they, they can't really do anything in the offensive zone with the puck on their stick, that, that doesn't do Dylan Strom any good. And that's actually um, what I was hearing a lot of too, before the trade, occurred a couple seasons back when he headed to Chicago is that they really didn't give him any sort of role that he would thrive in. Yeah. And that's, uh, and that's why, you know, why I had to ask about it. And especially because that obviously that was probably the biggest trade <laughs> of the last few years between the two, these two teams. This episode brought to you by betonline.ag. It's that time of year again, and all eyes are turning to football as teams are back on the gridiron to start the football season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. Get all the updated odds, props, and contests, including online's biggest half million dollar NFL mega contest and the world's largest two hundred thousand dollar NFL Survivor contest. Open now at Bet Online. Head to the website, use your mobile device, sign up today, and receive a one hundred percent welcome bonus using the promo code Locked On. Bet Online is the Fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports from football, basketball, boxing, hockey, of course, included right down to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait. Take advantage of all the great offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online. Your online sportsbook experts. Does this sound familiar? You've got a device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite TV shows. You're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friends log in for the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all the entertainment you love without the hassle and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream, and it brings your live and on-demand favorites together like never before so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes, no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part is there's no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion. Get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. Learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varied by package. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's actually a, a good point to flip on over to me asking you some questions because I, I got to know about Nick Schmaltz. How's he been hanging in uh, with the Coyotes organization, organization since that deal went down? Uh, Schmaltz has been doing pretty good right now. He's been, uh, he he's been like the the top the top center right now. He's the number one, the number one center, which is insane a lot for the Coyotes team. <laughs> uh, I mean, would I put him as a top as a number as the number one seat anywhere else? And no, absolutely not. But I mean, he still gets the job done. I think there were, there were a couple games where he, I think he was put alongside. Um, trying to think there, yeah there was like this special line that they put that it was like it, it was him i think garland 
on there and then just like like at least those two team those two players together just like my god these right. guys are freaking lethal <laughs> and, and schmaltz's puck handling abilities have there, there's never been a doubt in that aspect like his playmaking is there without a doubt he, he can drive possession and he can create for his teammates but the thing that really got him traded i believe is the lack of a goal scoring touch because when he was given opportunities to play with patrick kane and be that second line center usually the blackhawks split things up when Taze and Kane are healthy, hoping Jonathan Taze can be healthy for this season. But they, they'd like to have Jonathan Taze on the first line and then Kane on the second. And Schmoltz was a center there for uh, a year and a half. And really what just stood out was that Schmoltz just, he just always felt too complacent with the puck on his stick to try to make the pretty play happen. He, he wasn't a guy that was itching to put the puck on the net. Has that kind of been the same story for him during his time with the Coyotes? I, I did notice he only scored 10 goals in 52 games last season. Yeah, I mean, and and again, I think that I think that really goes with playing alongside, um, you know, Connor Garland most of the most of that season, because everyone wanted to give the puck to Connor Garland because because right. he, he, he was the the hot commodity of the team. Everyone wanted to make sure he'd score as much as possible to you know lift the life out of this Coyotes team because <laughs> he was. He was that like a massive silver lining that like, it's like oh my god, this guy's a superstar. Like he is our superstar, and um, and obviously to me it doesn't surprise me. I watched Connor Garland for years, but when he was in Tucson, even and it's, uh, but yeah, that's what pretty much why like why it's that case. So yeah, he's pretty much been that been, been that same way, and I think um, like. I mean, why would you want to change that if he's alongside one of the top goal scorers on the team? Right. Uh, that, that does make sense. Um, other, another question I, I wanted to ask, I guess it kind of relates to Nick Schmaltz in a way, but I noticed that Nick Schmaltz is one of the few players that the Coyotes do have under term on their roster at the moment. When I look at their cap friendly, a whole lot of uh, UFAs and RFAs coming up after this season. What's going to happen this year with the Coyotes? I mean, with all the draft, the slew of draft picks that they have, for those of uh, my, my Blackhawks listeners out there, if you didn't know, the Arizona Coyotes have eight picks in the first two rounds in next year's NHL draft. But I'm kind of curious as to um, what's the plan with these players on the roster right now? Is it just kind of wait and see how the year's going to go? And if some guys look good, we'll keep them around? Or what's kind of the expectation with this with this group? Because as I said, just a lot of guys not under contract aside from like, uh, Clayton Keller, Nick Schmaltz, and Jacob Chikrin, really. Yeah, well, uh, those players, I think, are the, are the three that are, pro- uh, are the least likely to get moved, I think, because of the value that they hold and the contracts that they have. Uh, Bill Armstrong has been trying to move as many assets as possible, as many high-value assets as possible to get those returns. It's the reason why he has those eight draft picks in the first two rounds. Um you know, he again. He wants to go for the complete rebuild. That's why he traded away Connor Garland and Oliver Reckman Larson to try to get that ninth pick this 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 previous draft. And he just kept going. He just traded Christian Dvorak away mm-hmm. for uh, for more draft picks. And that's the that's the play. He's going for a complete rebuild, getting these players that are only on one these one year contracts, uh, especially because look. Some of these con- some of the people they had just got acquired and Jay Beagle and Tan Roussel, uh, they've signed uh, Dmitry Yushkin. They traded also Louis Erickson. That was part of that other um, that other deal with 
OBL and Garland. So many new guys on this roster. It's just like, uh, it's it's a completely different team, and that's what that's what Bill Armstrong is doing. Uh, the, the case of Keller and Schmaltz, and I think their value is like their uh, dollar value on their contract is too high. So it's for the for the kind of play that they've been putting out there. Uh, those were contracts that were put forth by previous GM John Chaka, mm-hmm. which were very very questionable, and. It, it will take a lot to convince other players, I mean, other teams to try to acquire these guys. You're just like, yeah, I don't know if I don't want to take, you know, right. $5.8 million. Like, I, I don't know. Like, he's not worth the second round to to us. Like, I think that's what's going on in this case. And they're just like, oh, well, I guess we'll just hold on to them. And we'll maybe if they have a good season later on, we can move. We can move them. All right, Robin. Last question I have. Uh, you covered most of the trades, I guess, that I wanted to get into. But uh, one thing of note that I wanted to discuss were the changes that the Coyotes made in net. They got rid of both Aiden Hill and Darcy Kemper this offseason. Now they're left with Carter Hutton in net. What's uh, your opinion on the Coyotes' goaltender situation for this upcoming season? This is, I mean, to me, I think uh, the Coyotes' goal was to, again, it, it was it was you know making sure they got those assets that they needed. And like, of course, goaltending was, was the thing that would take a hit. And to me, I think, I I think what it is, is like their goal is like, you know what, all we need at this point is a veteran goalie. And then, you know, obviously there's their backup, Yasef Kajanash, just going to kind of be there while they wait for their true next heir to develop in Tucson. That's their, that's what they're hoping for. Um, cause the next few years are rebuild years. Um, and obviously it's no surprise. I was based off how you see this roster and I don't think they'll be worried as much. I think the previous years defense has been a huge question mark. It's been really bad to the point where Darcy Kemper had, and Aiden Hill had to bail them out oh 90% of the time. Now it's much better. I mean, obviously you have like, a couple guys that are still the same and Jacob Chikrin and, you know, Ilya Labushkin, but they acquired some really good def- de- defensemen over the off season. That's like, I just said this in the previous episode, uh, just last week, I said, this defense is a silver lining. This is a really good defense. So I don't, I don't think they have to worry about that. Well, that that's good that you do have a uh, one, one bright spot here for the season. And it's always tough in the midst of a rebuild because, as a Blackhawks fan who was just in one last year, it was only one year long, fortunately, uh, or so it seems to be now that the Blackhawks have made the moves that they have this offseason. But with with having those silver linings through the rebuild, that's that's what makes you hopeful, man. And and that's what keeps you watching is how, how are these players going to develop? What pieces do we have right now that we already know, okay, in a couple of years' time, we may not have to worry about this certain aspect. And that's always what makes the rebuilding team so intriguing to me is how they mix and match that. How are they going to still try and obviously compete on a night in and night out basis, but they also have to allow some young guys to get some time and develop earlier. And maybe they're not NHL ready, but sometimes getting those guys action earlier on in their development, it teaches them how to be pros. And in four and five years down the line, those things are going to matter. So even though it may be, um, shaping up to be a tough season for the Coyotes. This is still going to be a crucial year for the long term, I believe. 
oh, it will definitely be a crucial year. I'm like, I, I think especially with just how every, like, how Jacob Chikrin handles this, to be honest, because like, I think all of his like, quote, best friends have been traded. Right. Um, he is like the lone person left. Obviously, he still has uh, Keller and Schmaltz, but like, it's just like, oh my God, this is a completely new team. I got to, you know, you know, we work my chemistry with these guys. And to be honest, I mean, obviously, if there's one that needs the one that needs to focus on the chemistry, it's him because he's the future of the franchise. He's the one that's they're going to hold on to like for forever. Absolutely. Hey, pressure makes diamonds, my man. Absolutely. Built Bar, the best tasting protein on the market. Did you guys know that there are so many delicious flavors from Built Bar? There is something absolutely from Everyone from cherry barcia to raspberry, mint brownie, salted caramel, and more. It the the list just goes on and on and on. You can never go wrong with any of these flavors. If you haven't tried all the flavors, you can get a mix box. We can get two of each of the nine flavors, and then from there you can go ahead and make you get a full box of whichever one you decide you like the best. Because I you definitely know that these protein bars are absolutely delicious. But here is the best part is not only are they as delicious as we're claiming to be, but they're also incredibly healthy. Here are some of the information that you want that you might want to know. 17 to 18 grams protein, calories ranging from 130 to 180, 4 to 5 grams of sugar, only 4 to 5 grams net carbs. Amazing flavors, all tasty, all healthy. So if you go to built.com and use the promo code LOCKED15, you get 15% off your order. Once again, Use the promo code LOCKED15, that's LOCKED in the number 1515, for 15% off at Built.com. You ready to get into some talks about the Central Division? Yes, let's go ahead and do that. It's going to be, I mean, I'm just going to work in division, right? It is going to be a tough division for sure. I mean, just thinking about how it's going to shape up. Got to expect St. Louis to be good once again. Obviously, Colorado, without a doubt, is going to be there. Winnipeg just made a surprising run in the postseason uh, last year. The Minnesota Wild, I mean, it kind of all banks on Kirill Kaprizov, I think, and what he's going to do. But there's the Nashville Predators. I mean, this is not going to be a cakewalk of a division by any means. And it it seems, honestly, um, as a newcomer, this is how it always seems to be in the Central Division. I don't know what it is, but this division always seems to be deep. But come playoff time, I mean, you kind of want you kind of want those type of games leading into the postseason. You want those battles against good teams that you feel can also make runs in the postseason and measure yourself against those teams and see how you feel you can compete against the best. Uh, but but I think, in my personal opinion, it's shaping up like it's going to be a, another deep year for the Central Division, Robin. And this is why I'm glad. Like the one thing I, why I'm glad that the Coyotes are in the Central Division because for a rebuilding team obviously yes playing against a super tough division it's going to make things harder to watch because you're just like oh my god this team just keeps losing but on the other side is a rebuilding team shouldn't be in the pacific division this year <laughs> right if they were in they'd probably be contending for a playoff spot in the pacific division which is saying a lot um but yes uh, i th- i think it's going to be a really tough like all that tough division from the top down i think you know even minnesota just i mean they're still having question mark on their star player but it's it's gonna be fun i mean it's i don't know however how other way to put it i think it's the deepest division in hockey without a doubt we didn't even talk about the dallas stars too i mean made the stanley cup two years ago they were COVID 
record in last year, so it was really hard to judge how good they were supposed to be. I mean, like right. the beginning of the year, they you know it's like, oh look, they're starting hot, and Joe Pavelski's doing well. I was even asking the national show, can they hold it? And I'm like, you know, I think they can. And then COVID hit them real hard, and I'm like, yikes. Right. Yeah, it, it's going to be fun for sure. Um, but as for a Blackhawks perspective, I'm excited to see how this new team is going to fare against those top teams, the Colorado Avalanches and the St. Louis Blues, Dallas Stars. I'm excited to see how this team fares against those because for the first time in a while in Chicago, there's hype around this team. There is some serious, I don't want to say serious expectations, but with the moves that they have made, this this can't be another flop of a season here by Jeremy Colleton's squad. And, and if it if that happens, he's for sure going to be on the hot seat. Because the expectations have changed here in Chicago for the first time in a while. This team is expected to compete. And I do believe that they've made the changes that, that they need for that to happen. Um, and in order to take that next step, you know, you got to be ready to hang with the best. And Colorado Avalanche, I think, we've really struggled to handle that team defensively. I'm sure you can attest to that. I've seen... Uh, those playoff games from the the COVID bubble where they were getting outshot like 40 to 10. (laughs) I remember those, Um, but I mean, those are the measuring sticks that you need to have in order to determine what kind of team you have. And I'm super excited for this Blackhawks team to hit the ice. I haven't been this excited about a Blackhawks team in quite some time, but for the coyotes, what are you kind of hoping for them to achieve out of this season in the central? Because I mean, let's face it, this roster it's not shaped up to hang with the big boys and we know it's a rebuild. That's what's happening in Arizona. You don't have eight picks in the first two rounds of next year's draft without being in a rebuild. What is your goal for this set this season for the Arizona Coyotes, Robin? Uh, the way I look at it for me is um, I want to see obviously hope for this team. I want to see this, uh, this team still at least put out an entertaining product on the ice because they're struggling with attendance and they're str- and you know obviously Gila River Arena is kicking them out um they have to find a new home and everything like that they need to at least show some kind of glimmer of hope despite losing a lot of games this coming up year despite this session being the team that's going to be quote trying to lose that's go that's trying to go for that first overall pick cuz i know for sure if like that Shane Wright is on their radar <laughs> they really want Shane Wright to the point where it's like I think every every Coyotes fan is probably pretty brought into the fact that this the hashtag shame for Shane sweepstakes. They're really they're bought into it, um, which I think is a good thing because I since they're bought into it, I think they'll hold their patience on. But again, they still need an entertainment product in the ice because of their arena situation as well. Yeah, that that makes for a tough mix. What are your uh, last thing I'll ask? What are your Thoughts on that whole situation? Do you think uh, I've heard they do want to make efforts to stay in Arizona, but do you think that is going to be the outcome? So I've said this on both of the previous podcasts, and even said it to when the day this initially happened. I, I put a, I put a tweet out as well. I said I'll make it very clear: the Coyotes, as long as first of all, as long as Gary Bettman is commissioner of the National Hockey League, the Coyotes will not be leaving the state of Arizona. Um, the Quebec rumors completely ignore those because the, <laughs> because the Coyotes just are entering the Central Division. This make, That makes zero sense to move them to Quebec to have to do another realignment. Right. The Houston ones still, like, 
is Houston ready for for a national hockey team? I don't think so. <laughs> Arizona is a good place because I've seen the way it developed. Look, they like uh, Toronto just drafted another kid out of Scottsdale, uh, where you know, which is where Austin Matthews is from, one of the best players in the league from the state of Arizona. So I I, I get really mad when people talk about relocation, but Arizona is going to stay in the state of Arizona because of the fact that. Uh, the city of Tempe, which is on the east side of Phoenix, just slightly the east side, we're pretty much on the side of the valley where all the fans are, is uh, they just asked a request for proposals from literally anybody to build a arena and entertainment complex around, you know, in the north side of town. And the, the Arizona Coyotes were the only proposal to submit it by de- the deadline late last week. Uh, so that's hope. And obviously they still need a temporary home between getting kicked out from Glendale after this next year. And when that finally gets built, if it gets approved, but that's, that's where the Coyotes are. They're hoping that that Tempe thing falls into place. And I, I hope they do stick around because I, I mean, I know it's been a tough couple of years and the, the organization has not been run the best to put it nicely. Um, but I've seen that there can be support there for the team when things are being run right. I think back to that 2012 postseason when the Blackhawks and the Coyotes met up and the Coyotes got the better of them. And I I remember those games in Arizona. I remember uh, the rising red. I remember the fans being in on that team. And I I really don't want to see a change, especially with just, as you said, the realignment occurring. It, It wouldn't make any sense for them to move. I don't think there needs to be a second hockey team in the state of Texas. That doesn't make any sense to me. And I, I agree. I think Arizona is the rightful home for this Coyotes franchise. So Robin, I do wish you all the best in that situation. And uh, I hope the Coyotes can stick around for years to come. And again, I'm very hopeful of that too. And I'm pretty confident of, of it because uh, everyone knows all the fans are on that East side of the Valley. And um, if you've ever been here to Arizona, um, if like, especially because the the airport is on the is also on that east side. It's like just near downtown towards the east side. If you ever tried to drive to Glendale, it, especially before like at around that you know commute time, evening time when everyone's going home towards the west, no one's doing it. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just it's because of how it's like. I'll put it good. Like I'll give you a perspective because I had the I went to Glendale on a. Uh, for it was for a football game, so it was a little bit bigger, but because it was a Thursday night football game between the Arizona Cardinals and San Francisco 49ers. And I left from Tucson, which is already 90 minutes from Phoenix. It took me about, I want to say, total travel time two and a half, maybe two, 45, three hours oh, to man. get to Glendale. Like, and Glendale's not even that far, it's just the traffic that's absolutely sucks you don't have to tell my listeners about traffic in the chicago area they know all about it too well unfortunately yeah that's why east valley city of tempe where they have the light rail they have everything you can imagine for public transit and easy access i can imagine 90 percent capacity even sellouts for a lot of their games if it gets built there well you got my bid robin i hope it happens buddy Absolutely. I think that's uh, that's all we have for this episode, right? I believe so. That was a good 30-minute chat. I think we covered all bases. I, 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 I believe so as well. So 
Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening to this special crossover episode, Locked On Coyotes and Locked On Blackhawks. If you would like to uh, follow us, we can you can follow us anywhere you find your podcast at LO underscore Coyotes on Twitter. I'm personally at Robley on your one. And Jack, let us know where everyone from the Coyotes side can follow you if they want to follow the Blackhawks. Yeah, again, you can check into Locked on Blackhawks wherever you get your podcasts. As for me, I am on Twitter. You can check out my account at Jack Bushman too. The Locked on Blackhawks Twitter account is at capital L capital O underscore Blackhawks. Robin, thanks again for having me on the show today, man. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. And thanks again, everyone else, for listening to today's episode. Um, again, hope you guys are all having a good week ahead of you. And uh, have a good one, y'all.